Welcome to Everyday Pastor. Whether you have been a pastor for 40 years or four days, this space is for you. As a pastor, you spend your days encouraging and problem solving for others, but where can you turn for sound advice on leading your church or keeping your family a priority? On this podcast, Phil Waldrop will connect you with his ministry friends to talk about the things your layman friends don't understand or can't relate to. We want to help ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries. Let's dive in. I'm Phil Waldrop, and today on Everyday Pastor, we're going to talk to one of my dear friends, Dr. Jay Wolf, who has really perfected the ability to get to know people well. It seemed like in his large congregation when he pastored the First Baptist Church in Montgomery that, well, he just seemed to know everybody, and everybody thought he was their best friend. Well, I found out there were some things he did that, well, just didn't happen. It was intentional. We're going to talk about those today with Dr. Jay Wolf. Dr. Wolf, thank you for joining us today. You're so welcome, Phil. I'm delighted to contribute. Uh, I've always admired you, and I appreciate you being my best friend. Well, you're kind to say that. And I think people just saw an insight, <laughs> and probably your success is you treat everybody like they're your best friend. But I want to start just by by just allowing us to have a little bit of a basis for our conversation. As a pastor, why was it important to you and why is it important for people to know you personally and to feel like they know you as their pastor? Why is that so important? Because a lot of times people who are pastors feel like, well, I go out and I preach and I lead. But the people in the congregation do not know them well on a personal basis. Why is that important to being an effective pastor? The gospel is inherently relational. Think about the core of the incarnation. Jesus left heaven and put on flesh so that we could know him. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, all I want is to know Jesus. So that's the core of the gospel. It's uh, an incarnational theology. And that's how our relationships should be within the body of Christ. I want to know people. I've never had enough best friends. And people want to know me. And and generally, if you'll simply open up, people will be mirrors and they'll open up to you. Uh, So I have an unusual number of very deep relationships Uh, because I have tried to be transparent, I've sought to be authentic, but most of all, Phil, I've tried to be Christ-like. And when you track the ministry of Jesus, you find a trail of fabulous friendships. He even had the delineation of the inner circle. There was Peter, James, and John. They were very, very close to him. And, And then he had the 12. They would go everywhere with him for three years. They shared their meals together, their trials, their tribulations, their triumphs. Uh, Jesus modeled uh, deep relationships. And there were there were the 120 and then the larger crowds that gathered. Uh, but that's what I see when I track the footprints of Jesus. I see him modeling tremendous relationships. And Jesus was no doubt the most skilled relationship practitioner that's ever walked the planet. 
And so he's our model. And, and because Jesus is my model, I want to be skillful in developing lasting, deep, real relationships. Now, as part of that authenticity, let's, let's be honest here as people in ministry. Relationships can be messy. Relationships sometimes are not always pleasant. I hear a lot of pastors who I think have withdrawn from people because maybe people have said hurtful things or unkind things. As a pastor, as you began to develop these relationships with people, how did you address the unkindness and the hurt and the criticisms that some people in the church are going to throw at you as a pastor? Well, that's certainly not exclusive to churches. I think that's in virtually every walk of life. We can be offended. Uh, You can be offended when you go get a cup of coffee and they don't bring it quick enough or (laughs) offenses everywhere. But what I try to do as a pastor is uh, do Proverbs 1911. This is the key to a great ministry or to a great marriage, to being a good parent. Mm -hmm. It says in Proverbs 1911, it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. When you track the movies, you see the opposite. If you cross the path of the movie hero and you offend him, well, he'll take off your head. He'll shoot you dead. Mm -hmm. And yet in in real life, that's not how it should work. We ought to have, as the Bible says, um, some thick skin so you don't Mm -hmm. get a, a tough heart. But I've always tried to have a thick skin, cut people a lot of slack. You know, you'll overhear maybe a rumor that's directed towards you. You can either take that to heart or or throw it away. And the Bible says when we have the shield of faith, Satan throws those darts and and you can block them out uh, and not let it hurt your relationships. And I think it's very, very important to be a quick forgiver and to be um, selective in your in your hearing. It's also terribly important to believe the best about people. And to give them the benefit of the doubt, even if you feel like they've offended you, you don't have to take that to heart and then let it undermine your relationship. So so I think that's a key thing. I mean, it's easy to be offended by my wife. Uh, my, my kids can offend me by, for some of the things they say. Uh, but it's I think this is an overarching truth about effective relationship building. Proverbs 19.11. And I'll fuse it with 1 Peter 4.8. Love covers a multitude of mistakes, mine and yours. Right. Do you, a lot of times though, when people uh, obviously are negative, critical towards the pastor, and I think that's the reason why a lot of pastors don't have deep relationships is because of that. Did you find sometimes beneath the criticism, beneath the snide remarks, are people who are hurting Oh, yes, Phil. Hurt people hurt people. That's certainly the great truth. And, and so that, that's why I think we cut people a lot of slack. Uh, generally, people will be mirrors. If you are kind, encouraging, loving, they will mirror that back. When you walk into a, an elevator, let's say you're going over to do a hospital visit and you walk into an elevator and you smile at somebody and extend your hand to shake their hand, what do they do? Reflexes, smile back. They shake your hand back. But if you're withdrawn, if you're snarling, if you're short, they'll give you the same. Uh, That's why Mm. uh, over time, 
if you are consistently kind and encouraging, that flavors the temperature of the church and, and relationships. So you don't want to get stung by a few people and, and draw the wrong conclusion that all of these people are wasps. They're going to sting me and hurt me, and my, mm-hmm. it's not worth it. Yes, it is. I mean, think about what Jesus went through. People treated him bad, but he just kept coming back at them. Mm-hmm. He was not a fickle friend. He was mm-hmm. not a limited lover. He loved unconditionally. And so I think Jesus is ever our model. I, I don't have permission to throw people away. Mm-hmm. I don't have permission to live in a mm-hmm. corner. Uh, that's that's a part of ministry. And, and I think it would be mm-hmm. exceedingly important for people to hear this call to relational maturity and and to be a person who says, I'm just going to plow through that and I'm going to set the standard. I'm going to set the pace. I'm not going to let some grumpy person throw me off. Uh, so that, that's why it's important to overlook the offense and to be quick to forgive and to have unconditional love. Oh, well, I love that. I, I want to note that's our first takeaway today is that often people are mirrors in the sense they reflect back what we reflect to them, which brings me to an observation as a traveling preacher that I've discovered. People tend to take on the personality of the pastor over time. Um, if, if a pastor has been somewhere for several years, if he is cynical, the people in the church would become cynical. But if he's optimistic and forgiving and kind, people tend to reflect that back. So that's a key observation that I think healthy relationships for a pastor began with himself of having understanding. It's not about me. It's about my calling. It's about what God's called me to do. And I love that insight, but I got to dig a little deeper with you because again, I knew and know a lot of people who were members of your congregation. And they all truly feel you're their best friend. They, I've had so many of them tell me, oh, I knew Jay Wolf better than anybody else in the church. <laughs> you have a way of doing that. So I got to ask you, practically, what was your secret? I know you love people, but what are some things you did that you were intentional about that you found were important to people that made people feel that they had a close relationship with you as their pastor. Practically, what did you do? Well, let me begin. I'm going to dig into the practical, but let's be extremely clear. We are called as Jesus people to be Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1? He said, you can follow me as I follow Jesus. And that's the crux of it. That is the heartbeat of an authentic servant, leading pastor who has good relationships. I want to be Christ-like. I want to be overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. And you can only do that if you do John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branch. If you will abide in me and I abide in you, you you will produce much fruit. And frankly, that's the fruit of his character. That is being an authentically loving person, a person of joy, not a troublemaker, but a peace Maker. You know, a person who is mm-hmm. gentle and good and kind and self-control, that fruit number nine that holds it all together. But what I've done over the years, Phil, is trying to be a Christ-like person, 
uh, that has been fleshed out in a lot of different ways. Uh, some of the reasons that I stay connected to people, I've put a high premium on knowing people's names. Mm-hmm. There's a music about hearing your name called. Uh, when you hear the name Phil Waldrop, your ears perk up. When I hear the name mm-hmm. Jay Wolf, I'm looking around to see who is calling my name. Uh, the Bible even says in Isaiah uh, that God calls us by name. So that's a very important feature of good relationships is to be the kind of person who works at knowing people's names. And I can tell you, I have worked extremely diligently at being a person who remembers names. One of my, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Okay. So I went to Alexandria, Virginia to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church. It was the youngest pastor in the history of the church. It was formed in 1802. And as I started pastoring that great congregation, uh, I, I asked them before I came aboard to make a pictorial directory that was going to help me. Mm-hmm. And I studied it. As a matter of fact, I poured over that new directory. And uh, the very first Sunday when I came to start my ministry, I parked out in the parking lot by a guy named Ron Bartelt. And his wife was named Patty. And he had two kids, Corey and Tyler. I remember it like, like it was yesterday. And we got out of the car simultaneously. And I said, I think you're Ron Bartelt. I mean, it was as if a wind had hit him. He, he took a step backwards because I had taken the time to go over that directory and I grabbed his name and his family. I called them all by name. Well, that became legend. Now, that puts a little pressure on you. <laughs> so what sure. I did is I, I would take every Sunday, because I was new, and I still do this quite a bit, I would put a pocket tape recorder in my suit. And when the end of the service came, I would turn on the recording button and I would meet people and I would be sure that I said their names very clearly. You know, sometimes we just don't hear well, but we don't Mm -hmm. take the time to be sure that who this is, this is Bill Jones. All right, Bill Jones, tell me your wife's name, Bill. Okay. It's Susie. And, and then after I got a few background things, I mean, even in the line, I would say, Bill, I would love to get to know you and, and to connect with you. I'll call you this afternoon. What's your telephone number? And he would give his number, 202-352-1219. Mm-hmm. Well, I was recording it. <laughs> and then when I called him in the afternoon, Brother Bill was blown away because it said I cared to connect. So know the person's name and then use the tools to get some information. One of the greatest tools in my life is a smartphone. And mm-hmm. I'll take that contact. And a lot of times I'll meet somebody and we'll, we'll just get to uh, having a conversation. And I'll say, I, I'm intrigued with getting to know you. I collect people. Would you let me take your picture? And I'll put the picture in the contact. I'll take a few notes mm-hmm. after our conversation because friends, this is the great truth. The dullest pencil is sharper than the sharpest memory. You can't remember that. Wow. So that's why you that's a good line. I like that. Oh, but even better is a smartphone because you can, right. inst- you don't have to have a scrap of paper. You can instantly retain it and recall it. If you've got a photograph that helps you to communicate to others who these people are. So I have worked very, very hard, not only at knowing people's names and, and I do have a good memory, but I work at it. 
and mm-hmm. and so you know, that's why pictorial directory is everything. And the older I get, I, I mean, I have a photographic memory, but I can misplace the film, brother. And so I have mm-hmm. to always be reminded of, of names, and that's why I write stuff down. Uh, and yet I put a premium on it sometimes before I go to church because. Uh, you know, I'm not showing up every Sunday because I'm preaching at different places. But when I go to First Baptist Montgomery, I'll study the pictorial directory. Maybe just for 20, mm-hmm. 30 minutes. I'll just say, Lord, all right, let me do a refresher. And mm-hmm. it's amazing. God has given me the grace to call people's names. That is incredibly important feature of uh, connecting to people. And, and not only that, but you call people's names and then you have this sense of, Wanting them to, um, I, this is a, a technique that I learned. It's just that quick connection. There, there was a lady named Dottie Lytle that I met years ago who was this award-winning teacher. And she taught me a technique that's one of the most powerful relational techniques that I have ever uh, heard of. It, it's called a look, a touch, a word. A look, a touch, a word. So when I meet somebody, Made a stranger. I was preaching at First Baptist Decatur, your neighborhood, mm-hmm. just the other day. Mm-hmm. And I had so many people that came up after the service. And a look, a touch word. You, what I try to do is look people in the eye and discern the color of their optical iris. In other words, don't look mm-hmm. over their shoulder. You know, mm-hmm. don't look for food in their teeth. I'm talking about looking dead in the eye. Right. Look. At them, I try to shake a person's hands or put my hands on their shoulder. I read a study one time about doctors. And if a doctor went in to see a patient after a surgery and they simply placed their hand on the patient's hand or the patient's forearm or shoulder, when they did surveys on the patient's experience, the patient thought the doctor stayed twice as long as they actually stayed every time. There's something mm-hmm. about the multiplier of a touch. So you look people in the eye. That's what Dottie Lila said. She, she was this award-winning teacher of third graders. That every day she said, Jay, here's what I do with my kids. I look them in the eye when they come into the room. I touch them. I hug them. And then I give them an encouraging word. People are starving for encouragement. They need a Barnabas. And so over the years, that's that's been my model. Jesus, number one, Barnabas, number two, just to say something that's a sincere compliment. Gosh, I, I, man, you got a good looking uh, suit on today or, oh, your eyes are sparkling or it's such a delight to hear the laughter in your voice, my friend. Thank you for being at church. Just something that lifts somebody's spirit. It's almost like you're depositing a seed of encouragement that can be nurtured and grown. Uh, but but those are, are my particular Secret sauces, Phil. I've tried to remember people's names. I've tried to get information. I try to be a good listener. Uh, and then I'll always do the look, the touch, the word. Oh, that's so good. You don't realize how practical that is. What you yeah. just said is so insightful. And I'm going to add something that I know you do. You might not have been on your list, but you do it. I've noticed you have a tendency when you were talking to people that a lot of times you would just pause and ask their opinion about something. I I noticed it once uh, we were together at an event for pastors, 
and you were talking to one of the pastors and he told you that you asked, you know, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? And he said, I love Boston Red Sox baseball. And you immediately looked in him and said, well, how do you think they're going to do this year? How's the team doing this year? And he spent five minutes telling you about the Boston Red Sox. But he walked away from that thinking you were the greatest guy because you took an interest in what he was passionate about. He loved Red Sox baseball. And you just asked him how he thought the team was going to do this year. That is something I've also noticed you do, is that a lot of times when people tell you their passion, you let them talk about their passion a little bit or what they are passionate about by just asking them, how's the team going to do? What do you think about that? Um, and and with that, finding a way to encourage people. I don't know if you ever noticed you do that, but I've noticed Very intentional. that. Yeah, exactly. here's, here's what I've discovered about myself and most pastors. Uh, we tend to be very talkative. A pastor mm-hmm. inherently is a talker and consequently mm-hmm. not a very good listener sometimes. Uh, so mm-hmm. I have to, I've trained myself to do what the scripture says. And, and that is in the book of James, be quick to listen, be quick to listen mm-hmm. and slower to speak. Um, people want to, I mean, I've just preached in most on most occasions. So people have already heard me and now it's my turn to hear them. And yet my temptation is to, uh, you know, put another uh, kind of insider bit of wisdom into their spirit as opposed to being quick to listen and receiving from them what God has uh, for them to share with me. I use another little acrostic that I found to be tremendously helpful in making me listen. I call it fire. F-I-R-E. I try to fire up a friendship or a relationship, even in a few minutes, it can work. Oh, man, if you're seated beside somebody on an airplane or you're getting to know new people in a church or you've met a visitor, if you'll try this, it is phenomenally effective. F, ask people. you got to get yourself off your hands for a little bit and have the self-confidence to just ask and listen about their family. Everybody has a story to share about their family. And uh, parents, siblings marriage, kids. I mean, it can be a huge topic. Some people have functional families, other people dysfunctional families. Even if you're an orphan, you've got a story. So it's Mm -hmm. really important to listen to their family story. And then the magic thing, like you said, the Boston Red Sox is interest. Everybody has an interest. And that Mm -hmm. creates a point of commonality. Uh, So if somebody, uh, I say, you know, let me ask you this. Uh, I see that you've got a cap on that says, Bass Pro Shop. I'll bet you like to fish. Uh, do you like salt water mm-hmm. or fresh water? In other words, just some leading questions. Learn to ask questions. Learn to be curious. And then they'll just go off on fishing. Or man, we live in the state that's where football is the king. So if you see any kind of insignia that says Auburn, Alabama, Troy, and you ask a football or a basketball question these days, now that Auburn, Alabama are getting so good in basketball, I mean, just sit back and listen. Or if you really want to fire up a conversation, talk about grandkids. Oh, my gracious. You know, <laughs> person's interest in their grandchildren right. uh, our hobbies. And, and that just naturally creates this sense of affinity. And over the years, Phil, I'm like you. I've had broad experiences. I've intentionally traveled. I try to be a person of curiosity. 
and uh, I, I watch the news. I, I've tried to uh, be a person who's not simply a single shot and more like a shotgun, a scatter shot. I, I try to know a lot about a lot of things so I can say, oh, my goodness. Oh, so you're from New York. Um, I have traveled all over New York. It's such a fabulous state. What part did you live in? And then follow up so that it shows that you have a sincere interest. And of course, I have a purpose in all this. Like Paul said in First Corinthians 9, to the Jew, I want to be a Jew. To the Greek, I can be a Greek. To the Alabama redneck, I can be one of those. <laughs> I, I can relate to hunters. I can relate to virtually anybody. Why? To win some. And so then you get down to the R. And R is re- their religious experience. When you go to church, where do you go? And, and simply ask a person about their relationship to God. And specifically, then we're going to get to Jesus. That E is that exploratory question. But much, I mean, I've had conversations where uh, that F-I-R-E is taking me to 45 minutes, or I can do it in two minutes and get down to Jesus. But but I, I have an objective. My objective is so simple. I want to connect with people to connect them to Jesus. Mm. Oh, that is so good. F-I-R-E, family, interest, religious, and the exploratory question. That is so practical. Uh, I'm going to use that one myself, if that's all right. I'm a, I like that analogy to do that. So what you have shared has been so rich from a pastor's perspective. But I'm going to be, I don't want to sound negative, but I want to be realistic here. How do you handle those relationships, because some people in your congregation never hear an encouraging word, except for maybe the pastor. They never have anybody in their life who cares. And if you're not careful, they will want to dominate your time. Hmm. So how do you build boundaries so that these people who are hurting, who suddenly feel appreciated and feel loved by you, at the same time, how do you build boundaries so that these people are not abusing you or abusing your time? Oh, it's so simple. I have this wonderful thing called caller ID on my phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I control what phone right. calls I take and uh, it goes to voicemail and it's a cheery message on there and I'll get back to you. But you've got to control your time. Uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. here's the great truth. Any any person is a ministry black hole. I don't care if you're healthy or unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Any person has ministry needs that I cannot fill up. So I am mm-hmm. constantly pointing people to Jesus. If somebody wants mm-hmm. to latch on to me and, and try to say, okay, uh, I need a new best friend. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. quick to say, oh, my goodness. I'm so glad we're connecting. Uh, you, you know what? Like people would come to me and they would say, Pastor, I, I want to do a Bible study with you. I said, great. Mm-hmm. I've got one every Friday morning at 7 a.m. And I would love for you to be part of that. But that's how I do my Bible study. And we had over 100 guys on that list that would come on Friday mornings. I, I did a Bible study on Friday mornings, Phil, uh, for me, kind of a promise keeper mm-hmm. type accountability group since 1985. And I mm. did it last Friday and I don't do the Bible study myself. It's just a, a group rotation, but it's a men's Bible study. So that allows me to say, my friend, if you need a Bible study, I'm not going to point you to me. I'm not the Messiah. I'm always pointing you to Jesus. And here is right. a group of people that you can connect to. 
So it's a very simple deflection. You know, it would be totally unrealistic for me to take on every troubled person. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can love them just like Jesus. I, I can connect to them. But then I've got to have enough social skill to help direct them to other friends in the body of Christ. I always tell people, I'm the front door. I'm the front door. I, I want you to come in. And this is a very special family of faith. And we want to connect you, number one, to a Bible study fellowship class. And, and there are people of your age and stage in life that you can connect to. But I'm, I'm kind of like the guy. That, have you ever had your car go bad and you've got to get it repaired? And who do you go to? We go to the service manager. But they don't fix your car. <laughs> they point mm-hmm. you to the next person. They say, oh, well, you got good. a transmission problem. I want you to go back to transmission. Oh, you got a flat tire. We need you over here and tires. Uh, so you, you've got an electrical issue. We've got a whole department for electrical. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. We can connect. But isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, he even chastised the disciples when they weren't able to fix some people and they had to bring them to Jesus. It, uh, you know, you unbelieving, faithless guys, he kind of chided them. I'll take this one for a moment. But he didn't necessarily take the fellow whose son was uh, having an epileptic seizure and flopping in the fire and, and saying, okay, I'm going to make you a permanent part of the party. I'm going to touch you, and then we'll keep going. Uh, but that's what I do. I, I've developed the social skills where I can embrace somebody, but I didn't take them to raise. That's a good word. I mean, I, I'm just sitting here thinking that's a powerful, insightful word is that you can have somebody, but you don't take them to raise and you can connect them with other people. And I think healthy relationships are not codependent. I think healthy relationships are where you invite other people into the relationship who can be helpful. And you know, there's times as a pastor when people do need a little more of your time, when there's been a death or a tragedy or sometimes when there's been a joy that they need that extra time of ministry from you. And part of that is learning how to have those healthy relationships. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I've, I've told people, and I say it again, you have mastered what we've talked about today. And I have to tell you, sitting here listening to you, you have probably given me more insight into relationships in these last few minutes than all the books on relationships that I've ever read. So I am eternally grateful to you. And I know there are pastors who are listening who are going to take what you've shared and going to begin to use it next Sunday at their church. And I think they're going to see a world of difference in learning people's name and knowing their interests, carrying on, and that little look, touch, and a word. What powerful insight that is. So Jay Wolf. Thank you for joining us today on this podcast. You've been a dear friend. You are a dear friend. And I'm honored any time that I get to sit down and talk to you. Bill, you are a blessing to me. Uh, One of my key memories about you is this. You are a master at relationships. We were having lunch one day, and this was probably 10 years ago. You'd come to our church and you preached your masterpiece of a sermon on the prodigal children. And, uh, and how to deal with prodigals. And it, mm-hmm. it's a sermon that stays with me. I put it in my top 10, brother. And and we were having lunch. And I said, Phil, what drives you? And he, you just said something I'll never forget. And I try to emulate. You said, every day I try to make somebody's day. That's and it right. may be the waitress that was serving us. It may be somebody that 
uh, picked up dry cleaning from or, or somebody that I encounter. Uh, but that really touched me. That's being Jesus to people. And, uh, right. and that's our goal. We want to be Jesus to people. We want to, we want to be winsome to win some. And that's what I have tried to do. But you've certainly modeled it, Phil. Thank you for who you are as a kingdom entrepreneur and a tremendous model of authentic Christianity. Well, you're very kind. And thank you again for sharing with us today on uh, the Everyday Pastor Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. Thank you, brother. Love you.